0: Screw it, screw it, we're just talk about comics. Welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. The only podcast in the history of mankind where two brothers talk about a thing they love and that thing is comic books. I am one of those brothers. I really am putting the stresses on strange places.
1: Yeah. I, like uh, it. I am it's... one of those two brothers, mm. uh, Kevin Hines. I'm the other brother, Will Hines. Yeah. And uh, yeah, great intro, Kevin. Yeah, I just, that uh, was really Christopher Walken ish in that I just sort of randomly picked what I was going to stress. I feel like it, it brought out some new meaning for it. It made me, it made me hear our intro differently because we always say it the exact same way. So it's nice to hear it. with yeah. a little, with a little change in there. I mean, yeah, it's on our
0: cue cards. So mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. we each have we, a, we, we have cue card guides that stand in front of each of us because we're not in the same place. That's right. I'm in Los Angeles and you're in New Jersey. That's right, and I got a I got a real Joyy guy holding my cards he likes <laughs> he kinda he doesn't always lean them towards me, but if I say something, oh man, he gets mad yeah. and I
1: got a real Hollywood fella,
0: yeah,
1: you know he's he keeps handing name. you he keeps handing you screenplays mm-hmm. hey, he's like, just an mate? idea, yeah, and I say yeah. yes to him, he thinks I'm making all these movies, oh man um. So, Kevin, this is a part two, episode two of our Love and Rockets. Um, it's hard to call it a series, but our Love and Rockets little... Uh, <laughs> mini-series. Di- dyad, Yeah, mini-series. Yeah. And we're going to go over Gilbert Hernandez's story, this like Heartbreaks. The,
0: this is like the Lonesome Doves of our podcast.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm not totally sure I know the reference. What's
0: that? That's like a mini-series event on television.
1: Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. I know what you mean. Like the Thorn Birds?
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think except bigger. I think it was more popular. Lonesome Doves, I believe.
1: Yeah, hey, Thornbirds was huge. Okay, hey, all right, fair enough. Uh, so we're going Heartbreak Soup by Gilbert Hernandez. Mm-hmm. Uh, last episode we did The Death of Speedy by Jaime Hernandez, and this is the other half of the Eleven Rockets duo, Gilbert. Um, and I'm excited to talk about it, Kevin. How do you feel about it? I'm, uh, yeah,
0: I'm excited. You're neutral. About, You're I'm, neutral. Yeah, I'm uh, neutral about the
1: content, but I'm always happy to do the podcast to talk to you. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Kevin is neutral on this stuff, but it's one of my favorites. So I've talked him into it. So expect a lot of neutral takes from Kevin and totally biased, non-hot takes from me that the comics are good uh, as it we go over to, this.
0: When it comes to critically acclaimed uh, uh, comics that are loved by anyone with uh, intellectual... Uh, um
1: feelings. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm I'm cold. I don't I don't like <laughs> okay. it. Okay, it's not, not your style. Me. Yeah. I is mean. Love and Rockets still critically acclaimed? They certainly were critical darlings in the late '80s and the '90s. Is that still true? I mean, I don't think they get talked about as
0: much. But like, if you said to somebody, like, "Is Love and Rockets good?" even if they haven't read it, they would probably say, "Yeah, I hear it's great."
1: Okay. Yeah.
0: Right. I mean, it's, they have a rep. Yeah, like their rep is they are good. Uh, but they aren't like mainstream. And like, you know, if they started doing Batman comics, half that rep would go away. <laughs> Maybe both halves so of that rep would go away. Um, but it would be surprising, right? Like you wouldn't yeah. expect them to do more than like a weird short story in an anthology or something. Which they have that it, yeah, which they've done a number of times.
1: Yeah. Um it's it's not their brand. They're they're the indie indie guys. Um yeah. Well, uh, I'm I'm excited to do it, Kevin. I wanted to mention something that I forgot to talk about last time, which is the name Love and Rockets. Uh, I don't actually know where the Hernandez brothers got the name from, but I think that in popular culture, Love and Rockets is more famous as the name of an '80s band. I think that's true. Yes, and uh, I totally forgot to mention this. Um, and if people have heard the term Love and Rockets, they're way more likely to have heard of the band. And the band has nothing to do with the comics except that they got the name. The band from Alan Moore, who showed them Love and Rockets comic books, like members of the band Love and Rockets used to be members of this band Bauhaus, and Alan Moore was friends with Bauhaus. Alan Moore, the comic book writer, he lo- he's a huge fan of Love and Rockets. And in the eighties, when Love and Rockets was new and exciting, Alan Moore showed these comics to his friends in Bauhaus, and they were like, "Hey." good name named their bandit and became more famous than the comics, especially in the late eighties. I don't like that.
0: I don't like that. They took that name.
1: Yeah. That I feels think feels kind of uncool. Yeah. I mean, I, unless the story is totally made up, but I've heard it many times from many sources. I think it's true. Um, and so that's not cool. That's yeah. not cool to use it. Cause like, even if they weren't more famous, it's
0: confusing. And I it's think, not like they just came up with it on their own and, and like, oh, they both sort of, you know, like yeah. that sort of whatever what's parallel thinking that can happen. Sure. But if you're like taking the name from another thing. Yeah. It's just sort of like, oh, aren't you treading on that gr- same ground a little bit? Yeah. It feels very weird to
1: me. I, it is weird. But I, I, and I don't know what their thinking is. Like let's, I could imagine that they're like, well, here we are in Great Britain. Here's this comic book from, these two California guys that certainly when they would have seen it at Alan Moore's would really be not that big at all. This, you know, this would have been like 83 or 84. Like there probably were like two or three issues. They're probably like, this is just some zine. That's going to come and go. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I say you could name a song, love and rockets, but don't name your band loving rockets. I, I agree with you, but it's um. well,
0: yeah, I say now nobody should listen to that band. Well, the band is less popular than it was. So good, so it's already uh, happening. Thank you for listening, listeners. By making them less popular, I appreciate that. Uh,
1: we the the milk sops. We we control the the music industry. <laughs> um, uh, to make it even more confusing, Gilbert Hernandez, who we're going to talk about today, he did a story called "Love and Rockets." Within the comics of "Love and Rockets," he did a story also called "Love and Rockets" about a band. In Southern California, called Love and Rockets, and that band is mad that they are confused with the British band.
0: <laughs> that's okay by me because, like, it, yeah, it's, it's commentary it's, on what happened to him. Yeah. Um, Gilbert yeah. Hernandez did a cover, uh, uh, drew a cover to a Throwing Muses album. Yep, that's right. Uh,
1: and you're a fan of the Throwing Muses? I am. I have and that. I love that. That's a good album, Limbo. And that's the only thing you like by Gilbert Hernandez. Uh, um, I mean, he may have done other album covers
0: that I'm not aware of that I might like. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, um, they're big music fans, Gilbert and Jaime. They were like big punk rock fans around like the late 70s and early 80s. And they would do flyers and art for their friends' bands and have occasionally done covers and stuff like that. And it always looks great. So, um, Kevin, should I get into my long, insane lecture rambles for this episode? Sure, sure. You just want to flag me down when uh, I should sit back down? Yeah, just take a nap and just walk around and get some stuff done, and I'll give you a wave And when you you need to come in here and start talking again. Great, fantastic. So we're going to go over Gilbert Hernandez today. This is the other half of the... Oh, you're totally asleep. You actually are falling asleep. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the again, these guys have done this comic in various forms since like 81. Now it's 2022. They've all done... They've each done lots of different stuff, lots of different genres and things. So it's weird to summarize them, but I'm going to do it anyway. And I'm mostly talking about the way they were perceived in the late 80s, sort of when they were reaching their, their initial critical darling moment. And you'd buy an issue of Love and Rockets in the Stands. It'd be half Jaime, half Gilbert. The Jaime half would initially look sort of prettier and more sleek. I think his art got noticed first and, I don't know, would probably be considered better or at least like more commercial or marketable or something like that. Um, And Gilbert's was wilder and like more surreal. And his stories were a bit like crazier. There was like more sex and violence and drugs. And the characters were sort of doing crazier things in general, in the Gilbert side of the issue. He once said in an interview, I'm number two. So I try harder about his stories. Um, But, you know, art is art like Gilbert just has his own style I'm sure there's people who prefer Gilbert's art to, to Jaime's so and Jaime famously said I'm better than Gilbert so
0: phoning <laughs> yeah it in.
1: I'm phoning it in right the stories don't matter I, I don't need to try is what Jaime said yeah because I'm so good <laughs> uh, Gilbert's the more kind of like outspoken um one of the two like in interviews Jaime's a bit more soft-spoken and quieter and Gilbert will say kind of more quotable and outrageous things. Uh, I think he's a bit funnier in that context. Um, uh, So I don't know. He's kind of a little bit of a bigger personality. Um, His art tends to, to my eyes looks very slightly more Archie comics in a way. It's not that it looks like Archie directly, but if you compare it to Jaime, Jaime looks a little like peanuts and Steve Ditko a weird mixture, but that's what Jaime looks like to me. Uh, and Gilbert is like our crumb mixed with Archie comics. Um, It's, it's a bit more childlike, even though the material is more mature. Say Dan DiCarlo, you'll sound cooler. Yeah. Dan DiCarlo's version of Archie comics. Yeah. Thank you, Kevin. Good tip. Let me no know problem. any, if you got any ways to, for me to yeah. sound cooler throughout this, let me know. Yeah. Let's real, real cool people reference Dan DiCarlo <laughs> a lot. So, <laughs> Um, as they kind of like settled into their grooves, Jaime's stories became about Maggie and Hopi and this kind of like everyday life of these two Mexican-American girls who lived in Southern California. Gilbert settled into these stories in this fictional town called Palomar. And Palomar Palomar was like full of magic realism. There's ghosts in Palomar, and like magic is afoot, and like Mexican folk tales are sort of true, and there's witches. Uh, It's a little bit just more unreal in Gilbert stories, but uh, uh, they really knocked my socks off. And uh, the one we're going to read today is basically his first Palomar story. And it is a it's a great one. It's still all these years later, one of my all time favorite Gilbert stories. And it was what he was one of the very first things he did in Love and Rockets comics. And really, at first, my shorthand for Love and Rockets comics was Jaime's got the better art. Gilbert's got the better stories. Um, I, I came to, you know, see them just each as their own animal as I, as I became a fan, but that, that was kind of my shorthand and heartbreak soup was part of the reason why it was a, it was a more fully realized story. It was easier to follow to me. It had a beginning and a middle and an end, and it was kind of a little mini novel and it was an incredible achievement for an indie comic. I thought, and just reading it today, I'm still sort of blown away by its strengths. Um, I'm going to quickly say what the plot is, Kevin, and then ask you what you think of it. So be ready with okay. that. So the the overall plot of heartbreak soup takes place in this fictional town of Palomar. And it's basically this ladies man named man or Manuel has an affair with a young pretty girl named Pepo, and breaks her heart and is murdered. (laughs) And it's, and it's the fallout of their affair and, and, and it's his eventual murder. And that is the story. But along the way you meet all of these characters in Palomar and, um, and there's many, and, and Gilbert would go on to write stories about them for years. But that, that's kind of what the, the, the story is. Um, and you only like the stories where people die at the mm-hmm, end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Death of Speedy has a death at the end, and, and yeah. heartbreaks. so that's, I mean, if it doesn't.
0: So, so when you get to the end, if, if everybody's alive, you sort of rip it out of the comic and
1: pretend it didn't exist. Well, I'm like, well, they obviously screwed up. The story didn't work. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I like Daredevil born again because Nuke dies at the end. That's the only reason <laughs> yeah, that story really, is good. Yeah. Dark Knight, you know. Um, the tragic death of Nuke. Ugh. Joker dies and Dark Knight returns. Else, I wouldn't like that story. Okay. So. um, All right. So, Kevin, before we get into some particulars on the story, what would you think of it? You read it. You read it again for this episode. And you yeah, had read I, it before. I feel like I must have read it before because it's so early on in the Love and Rockets
0: library. And I feel like I was still reading both the material by the point this would have come out. I have to imagine. Uh, but I had no memory of it okay so this uh, is in a way like a first uh, so, reading yeah so in a way it was like a first reading uh it was good it was it was a bit uh sp- it's a sprawling story because there's so many characters not most of whom don't matter that much mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but it still makes it it makes you wish you knew all those characters like i, I kind of wish it had done a better job of explaining all those characters to me mm-hmm. um but also in a sense, I guess like all those characters could be jumping off points for future stories where you get to know them. Mm-hmm. And then if you went back and read this, you'd be like, "Oh, this is where that character started. He barely had a personality here." But I, I don't know if that's true or not. But it feels like that is the case. Like it is certainly the story feels secondary to the world. Mm-hmm. Where like when we read uh, uh, Death uh, of Speedy, Death Speedy, it felt like the characters were more important than the plot. And this, I feel like, the world
1: is more important than. Uh, the plot,
0: hmm.
1: I could see that. Um, uh, did you enjoy it at all, or were you like, This is a chore? My brother, yeah, is I enjoyed it. it. I, no, it
0: was not a chore. It's not, a, neither of the books were a chore. <laughs> uh, but I was not, I certainly was not like, Oh, I gotta keep reading more of this either. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, I, I really liked some of it. I really like some of the characters. I mean, also, some of it is tough just because like there's a lot of like sleeping with underage women. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh, um, people lusting after 14 year olds (laughs) yeah Uh, which uh i'm not gonna say it didn't age well i can't imagine it ever felt it was weird i mean it It was called out as a bad thing it was weird when it came out for sure yeah i mean it's called out as a bad thing in the story but also like a bad thing that like everyone lets happen yeah um and uh you know and the, and the story basically takes it's also the art like makes that 14 year old look like pretty and front and center and like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. she doesn't look 14 right but I, I guess you know it's sort of like you, doing a story where it's like oh look at this guy sleeping with a 14 year old and look how hot she is yeah yeah Sort of his kind of uh
1: uh, uh kind of playing uh, um both ends of it which you can't really do with that sort of uh, right thing, right it, it's hard to imagine the story coming out like this today for sure.
0: Yeah, so that stuff made me a little uncomfortable reading it. Um, But other than that, I enjoyed it uh, a good amount. I liked some of the weird characters. I liked uh, some of the silliness. The guy who kept hiding under the house. Yeah. Um, I guess because he was sad, or or initially because he was sad, and later because he was hiding from somebody. Yes. Um, the name and I. Some of the characters I I know Luba becomes a very big character, so it was fun to see like where she's introduced and stuff like that.
1: Uh, okay, pretty neutral take from Kevin. I think that's fair, as promised, but but a fair one. Um, yeah, I I think what everyone's going to write in and tell
0: me uh, uh, how stupid I am for not loving these stories. I feel like
1: I, I think you're. I think you're on the side that most people are. Like Love and Rockets is revered and critically acclaimed, and they're they sort of they they are. But I think they're a book that people know of and rarely read. I, I actually my general impression among comic book readers when i mention love and rockets if it's i'm talking to someone who's under 45 years old they're like yeah I should, i've never read that i've heard it's good like and the people who do read it are kind of like yeah it's all right like i think weirdly love and rockets has survived on being a critical darling of a very specific time um, I, I don't know. I, I would love to be proven wrong on that. And I also think it's somewhat regional. If you're up in the Northwest by where Fantagraphics is headquartered, I think like they're more present in comic book shops kind of as like regional titles in a way. And also Southern California here. Like I, you know, I put a post on my Instagram about doing a love and rockets thing. And one of my friends from the UCB theater is like, Oh, I just took pictures of Jaime Hernandez a couple weeks ago for a promotional thing. He's a nice guy. You know, they're like around Southern California. Hmm. So it might, it, it also might be regional where if East coast where we grew up, that there might be less, you know, although, like I say, there was this British show that had love and rockets comics. Um, Well, there's something about what I like about heartbreak soup. It, I do like the sprawling nature. Um, But what I, what I like about that is because you meet so many characters uh, there's such a variety of temperaments and stories and body types now i was reading love and rockets right after coming off the heels of reading nothing but marvel and dc really and zot um but you know really i just superhero books was like you know 95% of what i read and superhero books especially in the 80s everyone kind of looks the same every guy looks like superman's body and every woman looks like wonder woman's body um, or, or close to it. You know, they've all got like 10 abs and like four biceps and stuff like that. And that's just the way things look in a superhero book. And you don't even think about it. Like, it's not weird. And then here in Gilbert's story, there's like, there's women who are like, Big and voluptuous, and there's men lusting after them. Also, it's a very horny book. Like, everybody is yeah. like, and all Gilbert books are horny. Like, everybody's kind of horny, and sex is a big part of the story. Sometimes it's explicitly shown, but even when it's not, it's talked about. But what that meant that, like, the bodies are being are being loved, I guess, are are shown to be objects of affection that are not just your standard objects of lust. Here's the weird thing. Superhero books, everybody looks sexy, but no one's having sex because it's for kids. And then over here in Gilbert books, nobody looks like a superhero, but everybody's sleeping together. And when I was 17, and I was not a particularly horny 17-year-old, but I was just sort of like, this is cool. This is like adult. This is something rad and it didn't seem like i i think i had read some r crumb comics it didn't seem like the sex was like the point the way like some r crumb books are like look how horny i am for this kind of girl it seemed like hey this is just part of the real world and also there's violence and there's ghosts and there's families and there's parents and there's poor people and rich people it felt so much more full than a superhero book that has blown away um there also uh and that goes for the men and the women like uh, the men are don't all look like superhero. A lot of these are these like little skinny kids running around or like Man Manuel, who's the ladies man, is not drawn like a particular like dreamboat to my eyes. It's he's more attractive because I'm told he's attractive and the women are like fawning over him. But I, I found that sort of interesting. Um, I liked keeping track of all the backstories of everybody. It like appealed to me. Um in addition to Manuel and Pipo, some of the other main characters are uh, Heracleo, who is a new kid in town. He's like a, I don't know, he's like a 12 year old or something. And he comes from like a rich town. And now this is a poor village and he's trying to meet all the kids. He meets a little gang of friends and they're all like soccer playing sort of like just kids. And that's like a pretty big chunk of the story is Heracleo hanging out with his like little gang. And they're all kind of interesting and strange to me um israel's this kind of muscular bully and then there's um uh is it vincente whose half of his face was scarred at birth i think and he just kind of walks around with like a scarred face that they yeah, all just I mean, kind of accept this sort of
0: thing like i don't even know if i know most of these names okay yeah so yes that there is a character who's scarred i didn't know what his name was uh, but you remember that the, bully
1: the, was yeah the the scarred kid for example yes, yeah um and it's just sort of like, yeah, he's got a scarred face and ha- actually half of his body has got scarred, but everyone just, he's just kind of around. And then there's Toko, uh, who is Jesus's brother, who's like got a coughing fit and he's very sickly and he's like asthmatic. And he's like the little kid who's following him around. He dies halfway through of like yeah. his respiratory disease and it's sad and the father's devastated, but the story goes on. It It felt epic in a way that like. Most stories did not. Like, I was like, who is this guy, Gilbert Hernandez, who is just confidently drawing out this little novella? Um, L- Cello. Oh, wait. Yeah, Cello is the girlfriend of the sheriff and the bath giver in town. There's like a person who gives you a bath. Nobody has plumbing. And then mm-hmm. Luba moves to town who also is a bath giver, but she's like sexier than Shello and is kind of like using her sexiness to get more customers. So they have like a rivalry, but they both have like kids they're feeding. They're like working moms. That kind of blew me away. Just like working moms in a poor village. One of them sexy, Another one is dating the sheriff. I don't know. I thought it was like, I, I was impressed at there were like shades and nuances in the story that I had not seen in a comic book before. I just like taking some of your stuff out of
0: context. You're like, Ooh, a sexy
1: mom. <laughs> yeah. Sexy idea. mom. Finally. Like, yeah, just cause you're a mom doesn't mean you can't be sexy. What a revolution. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess it is one of those things where to appreciate love and rockets comics, it helps to have read nothing but superhero comics for 10 years before. And then be given something that looks like a comic book and in fact, looks like an Archie comic book, but it's like quite mature. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes in a way that's like problematic and it's just like shows that Gilbert Hernandez was a 21 year old horny kid writing a comic. He certainly (laughs) isn't like a perfect sainted individual or anything like that, but there was something individual and specific about this story that I think far outweighs its shortcomings. Um, uh, I like the ghost character who shows up, Pintor. At one point, heracleo sees a kid under a tree waving and he waves back and the other guy's like, who are you waving to? It's like, oh, that there's a guy under there. Oh yeah, that's Pintor. Then he finds out later that Pintor died years ago and that's a ghost. And they're all pretty just like cavalier about, oh yeah, his ghost shows up under the tree sometimes. And only some people can see it. I think that's rad. I love that. Um, Now, even though Jaime's art is probably more, celebrated than Gilbert Gilbert is a I think a, a, an amazing artist and there's like lots of moods and like emotions that are in this uh in this book when Manuel finally does seduce people it turns into this dramatic like shadowed kind of like uh seduction episode and it's uh it's Ditko-esque with those with those with those shadows in the dark um I really loved that um Kevin what was your favorite sexy part? <laughs> <laughs> um I mean I liked
0: the character of Carmen I thought she was a very fun kid uh the one who was trying to take care of the yeah depressed tippin guy tippin 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 uh she was a very fun character screaming at everyone and sort of but also like a very good hearted character I thought she was really fun
1: right so there's Peepo, who was the love interest of Manuel and then there's Carmen her little sister and they They seem to have a mom, but the mom is traveling. And so people's kind of running the household and taking care of Carmen and and also and people's other siblings. Uh, And there's a lot of people who are kind of running the family where the parents are away in Palomar. And Carmen is like this precocious, smart, cynical, uh, loudmouth. And it turns out later it's not people's biological sister, but you find out in a future story that. um, No, in this story. Oh, you've, is this is this in here where Carmen's abandoned at the market? Yeah,
0: Pepo tells that story.
1: Yeah, that Carmen uh, was like abandoned at a market, kind of beaten up in a bag as a baby, and her family took her in.
0: I think she tells that to Tippin when they were, but when they're both
1: having heart having heartbreak soup. Yeah, so Carmen's a really this story is mostly about the soup, right? It's mostly about the soup, right? I, I've really sidestepped the main the main thing here. Um. So, like, yeah. Carmen is precocious and addresses the reader directly, breaking the fourth wall, She-Hulk style sometimes. Um, And the the story opens with Tippin-Tippin having his heart broken by this woman, Zamba, who actually punches him out and throws him (laughs) out of a house. And he's sobbing and he ends up getting drunk and sleeping under a house as he's heartbroken. Carmen takes him in and Pipo gives him heartbreak soup later in the story, which is like a recipe to heal your broken heart. Mm Mm-hmm and later after manuel dumps her for another woman cuz manuel's just sleeping with everybody in the story she shares some heartbreak soup with tippin tippin you're right and then she tells the story of of carmen yeah i know i'm right you were right and mm-hmm. um i guess little episodes like that are what gives the story like a lot of flavor the heartbreak soup segment no pun intended where like you learn about carmen's story this baby abandoned in a market you feel sorry for her and she's kind of this brash you know take no prisoners uh cynical truth teller uh now you know carmen now that now that she's like 10 years old or whatever mm-hmm. and she's the one who like laughs at people for like thinking that manuel's gonna fall in love with her carmen's like oh yeah you know that guy loves anything in a dress um i don't know if it's an interesting relationship uh the existence heartbreak soup comes back in palomar stories where people will have heartbreak soup when they're when they're when their hearts are broken um the did you read cello's burden the the little the other little story i think you said you did yeah is that's the one right before it yeah yeah just
0: a little backstory of cello becoming um a midwife a midwife yes and uh, all the kids that she helped and she helped give uh, uh her parents give birth to manuel
1: yes uh, so when Heartbreak Soup came out, uh, Fantagraphics loved it, but they had the same comment you did, which is like it's hard to keep track of all the characters. So then Gilbert did Cello's Burden, which tells the story of Cello being a midwife, and it it does introduce a number of the main characters of Heartbreak Soup. And so in future editions of Heartbreak Soup, they publish Cello's Burden first, that like kind of summarizes some of the some of the main characters.
0: So yeah, Kevin, Fantagraphics I it, I it- agreed with you. I think it definitely helped, like, because uh, otherwise I don't know. I it would probably take me a while to like pick up on Manuel and even know that he had this brother who shows up very late in the story. It's barely in it, but kind of has a big impact because his brother also slept with Pippo. Everyone's sleeping with this for and he slept with her when she was thirteen.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: So he has dibs.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's. I don't mean to be cavalier about the problematic nature of sleeping with no, underage people, are. but like. I think I guess I am going to defend at least how it felt to read this back at that time, which was simply acknowledging that people fall in love and have sex, and that the repercussions of that was like a revolution to me it, within the medium of comic books at least and it, and it and love and Rock has felt more like a novel to me than a comic book um. And I think partly it was because of the adult things going on. Also, I was only 17 when I read it. So maybe I'm thinking like these kids sleep with each other. It's like, yeah, we're all not not that I was in favor of that, but I was sort of like, hey, I I feel mature and my heart has been broken. Why can't these people experience that? It seemed less crazy to me then. Um, On that sad note, let's take a short break. Everyone thinks
0: about Will's heart being broken. All right, we'll come right back. And we'll come back and and we'll have some heartbreak soup. I'm Daniel, a half-vampire. And I'm Claire, a full werewolf. And we're the two best friends behind... The, the Monster line. line! Every
1: week, we'll help a different supernatural friend with their problem. Every
0: monster, every cryptid, every urban legend, everything that goes bump in the night...
1: Give us a call, and we'll help you out. You can call the Monster Line if you're a monster with a problem.
0: We are, of course, a Q-Code Wood Elf production, and you can follow the Monster Line wherever you find your podcast.
1: No problem is too small, some problems are too big. We're here to help you
0: the monster line we're
1: back do you feel better yet will i do feel better i had some heartbreak soup and i'm 100 healed oh wow that really worked um well i'm just gonna i'm gonna jump to the end of the story here because i kind of want to just talk about gilbert in general okay um the the story so manuel sleeps with pipo she falls in love with him then he moves on to another woman and her heart is broken and and who does he move on to it's not clear okay I mean, it's implied he with somebody else but he also sort of falls in love with luba a little bit right he flirts with luba luba basically propositions him and says hey i'll give you a bath for free and it's very like i'll sleep with you mm-hmm. so he does have an affair with luba uh, right.
0: but but there's luba's
1: a, pregnant at the end is that man that's manuel's baby okay that ends up being Sergio, who ends up being a main character in the Palomar mythos. Soccer okay. star. Soccer star, Kevin. And Pippo's also pregnant with Manuel's. Oh, you know what? I'm wrong. Pippo's pregnant with Manuel's baby. That's Sergio. Because Pippo actually is a soccer prodigy. And uh, her son is a soccer prodigy. But who's, then who's Luba pregnant? Heracleo. About? It's re- okay. it's implied that it's Manuel in this story, but a couple okay. stories later, it's revealed that it's Heracleo. And who is that? Uh, Guadal Heracleo is the new kid who moves to town. Here, he's the kid who's like delivering flyers. Okay. Oh. Okay. He's also such a he's a child. He's a child. The uh, the kids are all having sex in Palomar. Um, the teenagers are all sleeping with people. And uh, Cello gives up her bath business and becomes sheriff. That's right. Her boyfriend's a lousy sheriff, so she takes over the sheriff's position from her from her boyfriend. Because she's better at it anyway. She's better at being sheriff and Luba's better at running the bathhouse. So that, that's how things settle out. Yeah, so Luba has Heracleo's child, but it's implied that it's Manuel's here. But it it turns out that it's Heracleo. It's a girl named Guadalupe who looks like Heracleo in future stories. Okay. And uh, and Pipo's pregnant with Manuel's baby and that ends up being Sergio the soccer star because Pipo is a soccer prodigy but because she's a girl she never played it professionally and Sergio becomes like an internationally known football star but um yeah so at the end of this Manuel when after he breaks Pipo's heart there's a doctor in town and the doctor like Manuel works for the doctor and the doctor like lectures Manuel hey you shouldn't be sleeping with these young girls they're too young. You're breaking their heart. It's not responsible. You should settle down. You're an old man. You're 26. And that's where Manuel's like, well, I'm dating somebody my age now, but we don't find out who that is. Uh, but the story ends when Manuel is shot. And the entire story, it's been implied that Gato, who is this old, this is other guy who's in love with Pippo, Mm-hmm. And Pippo has been rejecting him throughout the whole story. And he's been and jealous he's, of Manuel.
0: And he's got rage issues. He talks about bottling up his rage.
1: Yeah, it's heavily implied that it's going to be him who, like, confronts Manuel. Um, But it's not him. It ends up being this other character, Soledad, who is, like, Pippo's Who's Manuel's former- brother. Manuel's friend. I thought it was his brother. They're twins. Think- Isn't that what it says in Cello's Bird? No, no,
0: they just were born at the same time. Oh, Oh, by different, they were born in the same room. Yes.
1: Okay. Yes. Okay. Born in the same room because uh, Soledad, who had dated Pippo the year before, but it turns out had had a homosexual affair with Manuel and has been in love with him the whole time and has come back jealous that Manuel has not been his boyfriend and murders him over it. Like when Manuel's shot, he's like, What do you, you know, I don't even care yes. about Pippo. And then Soledad's like, Peepa, what about you and me? And Manuel's like, You and I, man, that was so long ago. You said to forget about it.
0: Yeah, I assumed he loved both of them, but that makes more sense what you're
1: saying now. Yeah. So, like, uh also just having a gay relationship uh in in comics, and that it has, you know, Soledad has been carrying a torch for Manuel, that also felt like kind of progressive and sort of like. I don't know, like exciting and literary compared to like comics. Like even that kind of thrilled me in a way. I guess you can make an argument it's like, oh great, there's a gay guy and he's the murderer. <laughs> um, you know, sort of silence of the lambs problems. But like it was more just like Manuel and Soledad had an affair, and Manuel was fine with being friends with Soledad about it, but Soledad's heart was broken. Manuel broke everybody's heart, even Soledad's. And um, so Soledad goes to prison. And Manuel is dead. And that's that's the end of Heartbreak Soup. And then there's two women pregnant. It's implied that it's from Manuel, but it later turns out that only one of them's from Manuel. And uh, is is who's the one who can see the ghosts? Is that Herculeo? Heracleo, yeah. Uh,
0: he sees the ghost of everybody who died in this story, plus the ghost that he saw earlier.
1: Yeah, he sees Pintor, who's the ghost he saw earlier, then Toko, the asthmatic kid who dies, and also Manuel, who's murdered. And this was the inspiration for the end of Return of the Jedi. That's right. This this is where George Lucas got the idea. Cool. That's really that's interesting. (laughs) Um, Well, I've expressed it clumsily, but I I hope that I've at least somewhat communicated that like to me, at least, and I think to a lot of people who read the story at the time, Love and Rockets was this sort of these two kids who just were self-taught comics guys were taking such huge swings in terms of the emotional scope of their stories The vocabulary of comics language that they used that for all the shortcomings that you might point out about Love and Rockets comics, that they were kind of like way ahead of like even people like Frank Miller and Alan Moore in terms of like what they were willing to do in their stories. Part of that's because Fantagraphics gave them the room to do it and they they didn't, you know, they weren't like hemmed in by continuity. But I think it like, I think it like a lot of the big guys in the industry were like, whoa, these like kids are like kind of schooling us on like what's possible and and i feel like
0: the other big artists who were doing similar stuff were doing more often we're doing more autobiographical or very thinly veiled autobiographical where yes. this is less that yeah I mean, exactly there might be some of that in there but it's it's like every author has a little bit of that in there and it's it's less crumb uh or or burn charles Burns or whatever um who i think yeah.
1: I think you're absolutely right. Like a lot of the ways that indie guys go indie uh, guys or girls is they write like autobiographical stories, often first person, like, you know, there I was walking around New York city, trying heroin for the first time or something like that <laughs> yeah. or whatever. And like, yeah, these guys are writing fictional stories that are inspired by their lives, but are not telling their, their life stories. Um, But I, I mean, I, I think like these guys really sent shockwaves through the industry by anybody who was reading comics. Uh, I know, um, Here's an interesting little Dark Knight um, tie-in, which is that you know Carrie Kelly in The Dark Knight Returns is uh, is Robin and is the first female Robin in the Batman world, and that was indirectly inspired by a Jaime Hernandez drawing. I don't remember if we talked about this when we did our Dark Knight Returns series. I feel like we did? Yeah, uh, uh, I'll just tell it again because it's relevant to the Love and Rockets thing. But sure, like, yeah. Jaime would do. Jaime and Gilbert would do sketches for the Amazing Heroes magazine, which was Fantagraphics, like, news magazine, pre-Wizard. And super self-serving. Like, Amazing Heroes talked about Fantagraphics comics all over the place. And they would have Hernandez brothers and other Fantagraphics artists doing drawings. And one of the drawings was a girl Robin. (laughs) And it was just kind of like... It it wasn't, like, a super sexualized drawing, but it was, like, a, a coquettish, flirty girl Robin being, like... Gee, don't you think it would have been better if I was a girl and all these like horny Batman in the background going, oh, hep, hep, hey, humma, humma, like this <laughs> weird like drawing. In a, and I guess Walt Simonson saw that and went into Frank Miller's office and was like, you're going to do Batman story, right? Why don't you make a girl Robin and through that think drawing? Wasn't that I think that was John Byrne, wasn't
0: it? Oh, was it John Byrne? It was I Byrne or was, Simonson. I think John Byrne said you should do a female
1: Robin in the story. That's what I heard. And that, and Frank Miller, that did put the idea in Frank Miller said now, Frank Miller, of course, did it his own way. And like, you know, certainly the Hernandez brothers cannot be said to have created Carrie Kelly in any sense, but I yeah, will say that more Carrie Kelly, it's more of a
0: Steve Ditko creation, a lot more of, of people a Steve say. Ditko
1: creation. Right. But the drawing that, that Jaime did is it's, it's basically Maggie, the mechanic dressed as Robin, but it looks a little like Carrie Kelly. It's got Carrie Kelly. Carrie Kelly has the same hair. um. I, I don't know. I think it was in Frank's head a little bit just as a, just as a seed of inspiration. Mm-hmm. Um. Anyway, I, I do think these guys were on people's radar and they never, uh, the other thing that's interesting about Jaime and Gilbert is they never stopped. Like I, again, I bought an issue last month and Luba's in the story and like, <laughs> and like Maggie and Hope are in the story. Like it is remarkable that these guys have been given the opportunity to develop their stories sort of unfettered for decades sometimes they're too sprawling i would even say often they're too sprawling it's hard to get into but I don't, they're they're one of the most interesting experiments in comic books and i'm i'm grateful for them
0: i mean that's a problem when a character runs for 40 years or 60 years yeah 20 uh, 40 years 45 years or so yeah. yeah yeah it's gonna get uh you're gonna it's gonna kind of the weight of it is gonna hold it down. I mean, I think this is also true of all superheroes too, right? They're all around sixty, eighty years and the weight of their history often gets in the way of telling stories unless creators just ignore most of it, which yeah. is harder to do when it's a creator owned by the same creators the whole time through.
1: Yeah, I think I think Jaime's and Gilbert are emotionally attached to a lot of their characters. Yeah. So it's hard for them to let certain people fall fall aside. There probably won't be Eleven Rockets year one. <laughs> or a crisis to kind of like freshen it up a little bit they have done things though occasionally where like gilbert will do like new tales of old palomar he will like return to sort of heartbreak soup style stories like um they they do some they do do some version of trying to get back to basics occasionally you know they'll do like flashback stories and stuff like that do they ever do stuff together very rarely it's more like occasionally one of them will draw like a figure in the other one's panels.
0: I mean, you'd think it'd be really fun if like they wrote for each other once. I think so too. I, I don't believe they ever have though. I mean, especially because it's not like uh, I mean, at least for Gilbert, he has definitely drawn for other people.
1: Yes. Uh, I don't know if Jaime ever. Jaime had, has a look sometimes too. So you
0: think like, I don't know, that'd be just like, why not just do one issue where it's like Gilbert writes a 20 page story for Jaime and, and vice versa, or just like they tell stories in each other's worlds for one-offs.
1: I think yeah, I am now way, getting a vague, be... a vague memory of, I do think that that happened where they did a mini story where Gilbert drew Maggie and Hopi and Jaime drew some Palomar people. But I think it was like four pages each or something. Jaime, you know, very early in the eleven. round. Ra- oh, go ahead. I mean, even that would be. Good, I think. I'm crazy if that has not happened. And if um, you were a real fan, you'd know exactly what volume. I'm to- not a real fan. Yeah, I'm a fraud of a fan. Yeah, a lot of uh, people say that. <laughs> uh, very early in the Love and Rockets run, Jaime was hired to do a comic called Mister X, right? By is- Dean motter Yeah, so like Dean wrote it and Jaime drew it, but I guess Jaime really took liberties with the script and created a couple characters. And like, I think those issues of Mr. X are incredible. Like I've bought them and the art is awesome. And I I think it was like a sour experience. I think Jaime was like, why am I doing this guy's work for him? I'll just do my own. Like, well, mm-hmm. what's the point of creating a character that he gets to say he created? He basically had a Jack Kirby moment yeah, very early where he's like, I'm not making characters for other people.
0: I read later stuff by Dean Mader. He did a mini series that Michael Lark drew that I read, Terminal City. That was really fun. Uh, and then I went back and read I forgot, I had re- I've read that. Some of the, not maybe not all of it, but some of the Mr. X stuff that preceded it. Yeah. It's like a fun art deco world,
1: but the story is kind of all over the place. Uh, well, that was kind of an early Jaime, like, you know, being kind of brought in by other people to draw. Um, there's, there's, as rambling and as incoherent as this has been, there's a million other like Love and Rockets stories that are interesting to talk about that I will spare you from.
0: But well, I, well not totally. I think you
1: should I think you should mention some of your other favorite stories, ok, I'll do that now. So, like,, um, and I'll talk over you so people can hear you. <laughs> it's most talking about love and Rockets is mostly talking about characters that are interesting because they're really, I think their plots are not as strong as their characters. So, um, the character of Penny Century is a big character in the Jaime Hernandez universe. She basically is a sort of Barbie doll sexy figure who is like a waitress with Maggie and Hopi, but she ends up dating a billionaire named HR Costigan who has like horns. He just weirdly is a horned dude because sci-fi stuff bleeds into the Jaime Hernandez universe. And she wants him to make her a superhero and give her superpowers. And he can't think of a way to do it. And so they're always like frustrated and she'll like dump him and go back to living poor with Maggie and Hopi, but then run off and live in his mansion but Penny Century leads to all kinds of adventures in the Jaime Hernandez universe. It's, and there's a series of books that were just about her, right? Yeah. When they, in 1996, the original run of Love and Rockets ended, the oversized issues. And they each started doing, the brothers did their own books. And Jaime did a series called Penny Century. That was like normal-sized books starring just Penny Century. But there were backup stories with Maggie and Hopi anyway. And by the end of Penny Century, it was just basically Love and Rockets again. (laughs) And
0: (laughs) Just like like, uh, Outland becomes Bloom County. These guys can't stay away from their They can't stay
1: away from their thing. And then Gilbert did one called New Love, a six-issue miniseries, which is one of my favorite miniseries of all time. It is a wild collection of short story anthologies that also introduces Venus character. I think I've read that.
0: Because that's the one with like the giant baby.
1: The giant baby is new I think love. You had yeah. me
0: read that. I think I remember
1: enjoying that. I adored new love. I was like, man, I wrote him like an eight page letter and heard nothing back. It was like, I must have sounded like a maniac when I wrote that letter. <laughs> to Gilbert Hernandez. It must have just been insane. Uh, I also bought original art around that same time from Jaime. And um I ordered it in August of 2001. And then he sent it at the end of september which meant that like 9 11 happened in the interim so he wrote the, and i was i had a new york mailing address so he wrote like a kind note about 9 11 in my order he's like i'm really sorry about what happened and i hope you and all yours are doing all right or something like that isn't that why I you know,
0: wonder if he thought like maybe this isn't gonna even get to this guy
1: yeah um no way i was gonna tell him after gilbert did answer my letter i was like I'm not, not going to be fooled again. Uh, don't blame him for his
0: brother's act. <laughs> people blame me for your uh, awful uh,
1: things all the time.
0: And I, I hate it. I uh, often have people coming over to my house and punching me and saying, that's for Will. And, and I was like, I oh, think that's, well, that's, fair. Not, that's not fair at all. I think it's totally fair. Mm. Uh, yeah. I will say like the Gilbert stuff, even reading this and um, where I wasn't completely hold into it the art is definitely more exciting to me and i think it is the opposite of how i felt as a kid because i definitely feel like i read more of the Jaime stuff as a kid just because it was so clean and perfect and beautiful mm-hmm. uh, and now as i get older i'm like oh i like this more imperfect uh malleable world yeah uh, of gilbert like that is more pleasing to my eye this sort of like more i uh more iconic less precise you know like i don't know what's that scott mcleod thing where it's like you can go further and further towards cartoony
1: mm-hmm, uh, right
0: symbols or what I, I i can't quote that uh like i feel like gilbert is further along that scale and now so is my tastes
1: yeah but like, uh, that's like in the same
0: sense that like you know you start off you're like oh ramita jr this is the superhero artist and later on you're like oh no i want like McFarlane and eric larson or whatever or walt yeah. simonson or even like later Frank Miller, where it's like, this doesn't Stylized. look like, like yeah. Keith yeah. Giffen's art gets so weird and blocky. And like, yeah. I'm more into Keith Giffen's hard to understand
1: art than his early art, where it's like good superhero stuff. Yeah, there's something that's got some personality to it. And it's got some yeah. it's got some joy in it. And, and uh, that short change, I mean, it has a lot of
0: personality, of course. But yes, at a glance, when you glance at it, it just looks like, oh, this is just a beautifully well-drawn, technically perfect comic. And at Gilbert, at a glance, you're like, Ooh, what is this?
1: Um, madness. Gilbert has is way more prolific than Jaime and he's done crazier stuff. He did a story called Poison River that was about Luba's mother that I almost found impossible to understand. It was like Luba's mother as like a sexy movie star, but who gets involved in some political government intrigue in the Mexican government. And it's like, you know, affairs and betrayal and, and, and cloak and dagger uh, spy stuff. And like, I couldn't keep track of it. Uh, and then he, and then like he, then he went, got into Maria's other daughters that he had in America, Fritz and Petra. And he had years where he just did Fritz and Petra stories and he got away from Palomar. And then he would come back to Palomar and do like people and her kids. Like he was always, he's always into people's family, Sergio and stuff. And, um, He also did a series of novels. He wanted to do like genre novels, like I mean, sorry, hardbound graphic novel novels. But it was like prose, not prose, but like standalone stories that were like the troublemakers. They were supposed to be like you know, like pulpy paperbacks about like you know, hard-boiled adventures and stuff. Weren't they supposed to be stories that existed within the world? Right. The actual framework was. Maria had starred in a bunch of cheap Maria Luba's mother in America had started a bunch of B movies and was like kind of exploited. So he decided to write a graphic novel that was supposed to be each of Maria's movies. So you'd read these and somewhere in it, Maria like shows up. Um, Oh no, not Maria Fritz, the daughter. I don't even remember. Like it was just insane. It was just like an insane project is like, Oh, I'll just, Write the no- a novelization of each of my characters' B movies that she was supposedly appeared in. I think it was Maria. So, like, it's like instead of waiting for Hitchcock to show up in the birds, you're waiting for Maria to be like <laughs> a, you know, a femme bot in some like spy story or something like that. But he did like four of those. I did a zombie miniseries. Um, he did a, a kid's book called Measles, where it was like starring Venus and it was all family friendly like adventures.
0: Yeah, very little sex.
1: He drew something that Peter Bag wrote, which was oh no, he wrote it and Peter Bag drew it, right? About yeah, yeah, the, yes. yeah. The rock band, uh, which was like a Josie and the Pussycats, where they they're only famous in space, like on Earth they're unknown, but in space they're celebrities. Uh, it's just sort of nuts how much stuff he. Like I said, he did yeah. a video, a videotaped science fiction television series with his wife that you could like order and get like VHS copies of. The Naked Cosmos, I think that was called.
0: And when you bought it, he was like, oh, the guy who wrote me that letter. He like, <laughs> Probably. He's like, oh, <laughs>
1: this guy. Um, well, a sale's a sale. Jaime would do, uh, he would mostly stay closer to his like Hopper's world, but he he did a series for the New Yorker. The New Yorker had like comic, I'm sorry, the New York Times started having comics in their magazine. And he was the first one. He did like a serialized story in their magazine. Uh, He does New Yorker covers. Um, He did a crazy thing recently that I've talked about in other podcasts where Maggie and Ray end up getting together in the 2000s again after like separating for a while. And there's a story where Ray almost dies. He gets like attacked by like a crazy person in this and 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 his whole life flashes before his eyes. And he remembers every moment in his life that he saw Maggie from when he was like a toddler through his whole life. And on the left-hand page is what Ray sees looking at Maggie. And on the right-hand page is what Maggie sees looking at Ray. And they're all taken from actual Love and Rocket stories over the previous 30 years. So if you're like me reading it, you're like, oh, I remember each of these stories. And it was this strikingly emotional thing that took like 35 years of buildup to get to.
0: And I think you've shown me that. And I expected that sequence in The Death of Speedy.
1: Oh, you were waiting to see that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, because I think like, I, you know, remember that later this, this death scene with a comic that had the word death in the title.
1: Right. That was the thing I'm talking about now. The flashback montage is from the love bunglers and it's when Ray almost dies, but there is a, there is a sequence from the death of Speedy is one of the panels in that where he like sees her and he's like trying to go over and talk to her. Anyway. Um, I don't know. They're, they're really fun. And I, and I, and I do love them. God, there was one more Gilbert thing I wanted to mention that was sort of nuts, and I and I can't remember. Oh well. Um. Well, I uh, I really enjoy them, and I don't know how to recommend anybody get into them. They're just this massive story that's like hard to. I guess the ones I recommended, Heartbreak Soup and Death of Speedy, I think are pretty easy to read and good good examples of their artwork and their style, and I and I think it's worth it.
0: I mean, also, it's like the stuff's pretty well collected. Like, you're going to be able to find the collections. They keep – Phenographic's good about keeping their good stuff in print. Yeah. Um. So if you try it and like it, you'll be able to get more stuff. It's Yeah, that's true. Some, sometimes, like with Marvel Comics, it's like, I really like this book. You want to read the rest? I guess digital? Because <laughs> you just – like, they're not in print or, or, like, the whole series is not in print. And, like, a couple of them are. And it, it's very frustrating. Uh, DC is a little better about that. Um, but I feel like the one nice thing about indie books, if it's done by like a fan of graphics, like they keep stuff in print.
1: Yeah. They take care of it. Yeah. I do have one more funny story about me trying to become friends with the Hernandez brothers and striking out. Um, I, I, they come to, they're, they're in SoCal a lot, so I'll go see them and get autographs or whatever. And I, they're always very nice. Um, except for Gilbert who sees you and sees you. Gilbert sees me. He's like, Oh, let's get away from this guy. Um, it it was in line for a Gilbert Hernandez signing, Kevin. You came with me at to a Forbidden Planet once, where yeah, we had I the conversation that. where you t- we pointed out that we're at the UCB Theater where audiences are trained to like us, and we're still doing kind of just okay. Yeah, yeah, that's where we we realized that our our in <laughs> optimal conditions we still weren't great. It was good, <laughs> good, solidly good. <laughs> but um. While I was working in New York, there was a, a woman who worked with me named Kat Toledo. She worked at the UCB Theater. Um, she's from Miami. I forget. it. Is she of Cuban descent or uh, Spanish descent? I don't know. She, she's a Latina. And um, she liked Love and Rockets. She's like, oh, I know Love and Rocket's comics. I, I th- those guys are great. And we, we would talk comics now and then. And then they were coming to the New York Comic Convention. And for whatever reason, I couldn't go see them. And Kat's like, oh, I'm going to go see them. And so she she went to like visit the Hernandez brothers and they were so charmed by Cat Toledo that they took her with them on a tour around New York City where they took her to all these like comic book highlights. Like they took her to Jack Kirby's birthplace <laughs> on the Lower East Side. Like we know where Jack Kirby was born. We're gonna, we wanna go to Jack Kirby's like birthplace. And, and they posed for a picture with Cat doing like a Jack Kirby pose. And, and she was like texting me all day. She's like, I'm hanging out with Jaime and Gilbert. And I was like, what? It <laughs> was just like, she became friends with them and they still like correspond, I guess, or something like that. And when I, and again, I posted this f- f- thing on my Instagram recently of love and rockets and cat Toledo, like text me. She's like, I love them. And I was like, yeah, I know you're friends with them. <laughs> <laughs> like I named my cats, Maggie yeah. and Hopi. <laughs> yeah. But Cat's also
0: friends with Paul McCartney, right?
1: Yeah. Cats made friends with Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr. And I, yeah. I, I guess it's all right, but. No, but it it is totally fine. If I were the Hernandez brothers, I'd be sick of middle aged white hipster nerds trying to be friends with them too. So <laughs> I, I agree with that sentiment. And they truly have always been extremely nice when I get signing. You know, yeah. When we went to Forbidden
0: Planet, they seem very nice. Yeah, i mean we didn't stop and chat with them or anything.
1: No, but, I uh, after the eight page letter, I was like, I can, I, I got to stop trying to stalk these guys. I look like an insane man.
0: Yeah. Um. You did have them sign your back.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I took my clothes off and was just like, yeah, whatever yeah. you want, you sign whatever you feel comfortable yeah, with. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, that's my Love and Rocket story, Kevin. Uh, thanks for letting me do it. Uh, you owe me one. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, if anybody has any opinions on these books, if uh, Casey from Danger Room Comics in Olympia, who's one of the few people I know who was a Love and Rockets fan, I guess I know more people than that. Um, I'd love to hear from you. And if you honestly, if you try the books out because of this episode, even if you're like, this stuff is garbage and not for me, I'd love to hear what you thought. Uh, I would find that really interesting. Um, So write us at screwitcomics at Gmail if you want to write in or check us out on Instagram at screwitcomics or Twitter at screwitcomics.
0: Yeah. And I so I guess next week we're going to answer some mail. So do write us. Uh, We're going to do two weeks of mailbag episodes, which means we're also going to start covering
1: John Burns Fantastic Four.
0: Yeah. Uh, And I've posted online on our Instagram and Twitter what specific issues do three issues each episode, I assume. Yeah. Uh, And then after that, we're going to start covering Squadron Supreme. Mm -hmm. I don't know if we're going to be doing
1: uh, two or three, two or
0: three issues or a mix of that uh, as we go through it. I'm sort of guessing we'll do two issues for the first one as we sort of talk overall uh, yeah well yeah we'll talk about it overall and then we'll do three issues up until the end and we'll yeah. have to do two just to make it work out math wise or maybe we'll do a four i don't know it's it's hard to know we might end up doing three issues just every one of them uh it sort of depends when we re- start reading it you've read it before and so it'll come back to you i have mm-hmm. not read it mm-hmm. So once we get into it we'll know whether or not like how much we have to say whether or yeah. not three issues means we don't have time to talk about it or uh we do
1: yeah, so, but the order is we're going to do two issues of Mailbag and then Squadron Supreme. And the very the very next episode, we're going to go over issues 232, 233, and 234 of the Fantastic Four, which are the right. first John Byrne issues. Right, it starts with 232. Uh, and then we'll do three more after that. And then, yeah, we'll go into Squadron
0: Supreme. And that gets us into December. Um, probably take a break. You'll probably end up taking a break. Maybe we'll do one more Mailbag before that break. It, it sort of depends on timing with us.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and our energy level.
0: Yeah, I'm tired right now thinking about it. <laughs>
1: um, all right, so that, that's our plan, everybody. Thanks to everybody for indulging this and to my brother, especially Kevin. Thank you for letting me do it. And um, we'll see you next episode. We 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 return to the world of superhero books.
0: Yeah, now people, no more 14-year-old sex uh, unless it's <laughs> Kitty, Pride, and Colossus. <laughs> all right, bye, everybody. <laughs> bye.
1: Screw
0: it, screw it, we just talk about- comics.